This is Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast of the slightly unusual. Here's your host, Peter Anthony Holder. Hello, and welcome to Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast that will take you off the beaten path. Introducing you to people who have slightly quirky hobbies or businesses. Since the dawn of man, people have asked the question, why would someone do that? Yet it's human ingenuity, curiosity, and the desire to explore that has led humanity to discover new lands and to reach out into space. And, as Neil Armstrong once said, it all starts with one small step. Bob Salem is such a man. Oh, he wasn't the first to complete his feat. Four others had embarked upon this journey before him. But Bob was the fastest. It took Bob six days and 20 hours to climb a 14,115-foot mountain while pushing a peanut up the slope with his nose. Oh, you're thinking of that age-old question again, aren't you? Yeah, I asked it. It was mostly because I was, it, it was out there. I was on Facebook. Michael Mayo from the uh, Manitou Springs Heritage Museum was on Facebook explaining just exactly Ulysses doing it in, in 63 and, you know, the other three guys and stuff like that. And he's like, boy, I wish we could find somebody that would do it for the anniversary of Manitou this year because it was the 150th. And I was like, well, I'll do it. And he was surprised. I was surprised. Everybody was surprised. A little background. The community is the city of Manitou Springs in Colorado. The mountain is Pikes Peak. The first person to do it was Bill Williams back in 1929. It wasn't until 1963 that the second person, the aforementioned Ulysses Baxter, tackled the feat. So, why did Bill Williams do it in the first place? Actually, it was a $50 bet. It was a bar bet. He was in a bar, and, and I, I have no idea how that kind of topic comes up. But, yeah, he, it was a bar bet, and uh, he did finish it, and he did win the $50. Well, $50 was a lot back in 1929. Even more so later in the year after, you know, the stock market crash. But I digress. Anyway, how does one actually prepare for this trek? I mean, you usually don't get a lot of proboscis peanut-pushing practice. Honestly, it was just prior to this, it was just me doing a lot of hiking to get used to the altitude and stuff. I did practice a couple of times, I guess you could say, because I had a couple other interviews and I'd go out to the bar trail there and, you know, we'd do a little bit of peanut pushing for them to take pictures of and things like that. So there was, a, I guess, a little practice. I got, you know, an idea of what to do and what not to do. Actually easier going up the mountain on your hands and knees than it is walking. It takes longer, but it is easier. Yet... Bob managed to shave an entire day off the old record. And to be clear, the record only includes the time it takes to push the peanut up the mountain, which means you don't have to actually stay on the slope 
to rest. First off, the other three guys, the first guy, he went up rough up the mountain, no trail. So over boulders, over rocks, and just up the rough mountain. The uh, other guy in 63, he went up the highway. So that's longer, but he was able to get a ride up to where he left off and a ride down back to town because Ulysses was a rockabilly star and he'd go down to the clubs there and play a little bit of guitar and stuff like that and enjoy a little beer and then come back the next day slightly hung over and and start pushing the peanut again. So, how many times did Bob do the descent? Several times, but all the way up until like, I think it was Wednesday, I was coming back down and, and I was only doing this at night because it was really super hot. I had help with my wife. She went up the first couple of days, but by the third day and once I was up there, I was kind of on my own. So I just had to move the backpack, come back, move the peanut, move the backpack, move the peanut move the backpack. Then I stayed at Bar Trail for a few hours on Wednesday, and then uh, at the A-frame on Thursday, I slept a couple hours there. But for the most part, after that, I was just pushing. (laughs) How much time did you take off between pushing the peanut up the mountain? Well, the first day, the day we started, actually, the city had me start at like 9 o'clock in the morning, and we actually had a record heat-breaking day. So it was 99 degrees. So uh, I pretty much dehydrated that first day. I didn't make very far. I think I got a mile that first day or something like that, mile and a half. And uh, I actually took the next day off because I just, I could barely even move. But the occasional heat of the trek was not the most difficult part of the journey. The last, I think they're called the last nine golden stairs or ten golden stairs or something like that. It was the very last part of it. I had run out of water because I didn't bring enough because I wasn't really contemplating, you know, moving my backpack and then having them, you know, do the peanut and then the backpack. So I kind of did the mountain twice. So I ran out of water and when I got to the top, I was very concerned I was not going to be awake or coherent when people showed up to interview me. I actually got there just as the sun was, was rising and uh, the observatory up there does not open till 7.45 or something. So I had like two hours where I kind of had to just lay there and be dry. That's the one thing I, I think that I, I did not enjoy was the fact that there's not even any kind of real water available up there at all. It's it, You get up there and if you don't have water with you, you're dry until they open the door. Lucky for all of us, Bob survived his arduous task. But the peanuts themselves, alas, they didn't do so well. Oh, yeah, I I was probably past 24 peanuts. They didn't make it. I even, like, the first ones, the first, like, 10 I had, I coated with a plastic spray, and uh, they still wore out pretty fast. I was lucky enough that I had a peanut groupie, I guess you'd call him. He actually, uh, on, like, the third day, he he had peanuts that he came up, he was following me, he gave me a whole bunch of peanuts, because uh, I was actually running out of peanuts. I know. Right about now, as you're listening, you're trying to visualize just how Bob did this. And what kind of apparatus was involved? It's a CPAP machine mask. So, you know, the thing that people fall asleep at night, they stop breathing in the middle of the night, and it's a hose, makes sure they're still breathing and stuff. Well, I just took the hose off of it, basically, and cut the tip off of a plastic serving spoon and shoved the handle in the in the hole and taped it down, and that was my device right there. And it makes you kind of look like an alien elephant. It is a little ridiculous looking, yes. And lest you think that Bob did all of this for merely the glory of it all, then think again. 
He was also raising money for a very good cause called Together and Home at Last Incorporated. It's a charity organization. We uh, have historically been trying to put people in uh, low mortgage homes. So it's actually affordable to own a house instead of, you know, paying somebody for them to own the house. My little section in the charity is uh, Dome Homes, and I've come up with a uh, pretty amazing way to uh, build a 4,000 square foot or a 2,000 square foot dome. It's out of cement. I can actually do that for about 50 cents a square foot. So clearly, Bob didn't spend all that time climbing a mountain for, you know, peanuts. Business Beyond Bizarre. Besides some necessities in life, such as eating, sleeping, breathing, and bodily functions, can you think of anything that you have done every day for a grand total of eight years, three months, and 13 days? Jeff Wrights can. As a matter of fact, he's a Guinness World Record holder. That's because, for eight years, three months, and 13 consecutive days, he visited the happiest place on Earth. He went to Disneyland. You think I'm joking, don't you? Oh, it's no joke. Although it may have started out as one. It actually started out as a joke between friends. Almost like a radio contest joke. On New Year's Eve 2011, Disneyland ran their commercial about giving you an extra Disney day when they announced the Leap Day 24-hour event for February 29, 2012. On January 1st, I was at the park friends and we were talking about it and saying how could it be an extra day if you don't use the others and myself and another person were currently unemployed at the time and so we decided to use it as a positive and make a challenge of it to go for all 366 days of 2012 and then it just kept going from there he did say that two of them started out going to disneyland but only jeff holds the record what happened to his friend? The other person went for two years and then they stopped. They were still having some issues trying to find uh, good employment and everything. Whereas I had started working at the VA hospital in Long Beach helping my fellow veterans back in September of 2012. So I had stable employment and I was able to afford to renew my passes and keep going. And we thank you, Jeff, for your service. But after your friend dropped out, what made you want to go on visiting the Mouse House daily? I was actually having fun with it. I enjoyed being able to go to work and then go to the park afterwards. It was a combination of things for me. It was entertainment. It was the gym. It was a happy hour, dinner. It was everything all mixed into one place. Now, I know that out there, within the sound of my voice, there are some Debbie Downers who look for a dark cloud around every corner and are suspicious of every. Thing. Those very few might question a grown man going to Disneyland alone in a place filled with children. The only time I've ever heard those questions was actually when doing some radio interviews or in the comments section of uh, some of the posts that I've seen where uh, people that don't care for Disney usually would comment about that. Disney, know that it is uh, built and made for people of all ages, that so you don't have to be a kid. I mean, the rides and attractions are built for all different shapes and sizes even. So, you know, it didn't matter if I had kids or not with me. So I go and enjoy. A lot of times I'd meet up with other friends and we'd all hang out together. Well, that settles that. At what point did Disney and the media start to take notice of Jeff's attendance streak? 
Disney was aware early on in 2012 because I had met a local reporter from the Orange County Register here. I actually met him on day 60, which was the 24-hour event. We became friends on Facebook, so he was following my posts and everything. Uh, when we hit the halfway point on July 1st, he ran the first article about us that was picked up by the AP. So it started running viral from that point forward, and I was posting images. I think I started my Instagram on like July 1st or something like that. It was day 201, I remember. And so I had people following along through social media or just you know people in the park that we would meet each other. And so they were aware all along because anytime that the uh, press would uh, do stories, they would contact them to confirm that the numbers were correct of what I was posting and things like that. Because of using my annual pass being electronic, every time I checked into the park, Disney had it recorded. So they were the official count the whole time. They monitored it and you know sometimes they'd have camera crews come out like for my when we hit uh, 366 for the first year, and then uh, when I hit day 2000, they had uh, camera crews that had come out along with the uh, local press for coverage of me uh, going to the park. Well, what I'm hearing here is Disney is always watching. Was there a point at which Jeff thought about going for some kind of record? Personally, I hadn't really even thought about it. I didn't have any goal number in mind. I was just going because I was having fun. When I hit day 2000, there was a, a local or a, another agency outside of Guinness that had uh, deemed me a record holder for hitting day 2000. And I would always have people saying, oh, you, you know, you should be in Guinness. Are you in Guinness? And so people were always saying it, but it wasn't something that I actively went for. And so it was actually a surprise to me when I was contacted by Guinness uh, World Records because I didn't file for it myself. It was actually filed as a consultancy record meaning that one of Guinness's consultants found it and deemed it worthy, and they put it together on the back end and just reached out to me to get some final details before they wrote their article that they posted. If you're doing the math, eight years, three months, and 13 days clocks in at 2,995 days in total. Why didn't he hit the magic even number of 3,000? Well, sadly, on March 14, 2020, Disneyland shut down. You remember that little thing called the pandemic? That was the Debbie Downer buzzkill for everybody. Does Jeff ever wonder how long his streak could have gone if it wasn't for that global scourge? I really don't know. There's been so many different questions and times, and there's always that different golden number coming up as to what would be good. I mean, Friday the 13th was day 2995, which was my last day. The following Wednesday, the 18th of March, would have been day 3000. And so I was looking at possibly that being the last day. Or had I gone on further, I was joking around, one of my followers was a Club 33 member that talked about when I hit day 3333, we should go to Club 33 to celebrate. So I, like, I ran those numbers, and that would have actually been Valentine's Day of 2021, would have been day 3333. So there's always those special numbers that you can always come up with. So I hadn't really worked in a, a final number to say, this is it, I'm only doing this. So... We've added up the days, the weeks, the months, and the years. 
What does that add up to in dollars? My first pass actually was a gift, but uh, ever since then, I paid for the other eight because it did take a total of nine annual passes to cover the full time. But the prices ranged anywhere from around $500 in the beginning up to my last few passes were $1,399, so $1,400 US. That's basically less than a Starbucks coffee per day, right? Exactly. For me going every single day, it brought it down to about $325, $350 a day. So yeah, definitely less than Starbucks. So it was well worth it then. Oh, most definitely. And that for that cost, that was including my parking and park copper admission for every single day of the year. The pandemic may have ended his streak, but inflation will probably be the plague that prevents anyone from toppling his record. If it is broken, it's really going to be an expensive record to break. Just to do one year now, you're looking around five or $6,000. And considering that Disney usually raises their prices every year, that first year may be you know, five, 6000 But by the time you get to your eighth or ninth year, you're going to be looking, heck, it could be $10,000 even. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, eight to 10000 for depending on how they have the pass system set up and how much the park admissions are. Oh, my head is spinning with all those high prices. Stop, you're making me Disney. Okay, I'll show myself out now. But before we go, I think it's important to end on a quote by Walt himself. Laughter is timeless. Imagination has no age. Dreams are forever. Next time on Business Beyond Bazaar. We'll take you to another themed holiday location, but this one is of the murderous kind. Yes, you too can stay at the Lizzie Borden House Bed and Breakfast in Fall Rivers, Massachusetts. Bring someone that you love, or someone with an axe to grind. And you'll meet a man who has created a motorcycle that is powered by beer. Now, there's a guy with hops and dreams. This has been Business Beyond Bazaar, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications and Group Fairplay. Play.